Amen. Well, you may be seated. If you don't know me, my name is Jamie Ingram. I'm the worship and missions pastor here at the church, and it's my privilege today to be up here with Paul and Beth Wright. They are our missionaries in Argentina. And a little fun fact about Paul and Beth, if you've never been around the church before, maybe you haven't heard this before, we support over 60 missionaries as a church, which is awesome. But Paul and Beth were some of the originals. They were a part of that first three missionary units that we took on to support as a church all those years ago. They're still faithfully serving the Lord, and so we're happy to have them here with us today. Will you give them a hand and just say welcome? So, Paul and Beth, I'll turn it over to you guys. Just share with us a little bit about your ministry, your life, and what's going on with you both. Well, in the New Testament book of Acts, we read about Paul and Barnabas going back to their church in Antioch and giving a report. Well, folks, we're not Paul and Barnabas, we're Paul and Beth. <laughs> Better keep Isaiah up here for the rim shot. <laughs> Let me tell you a little bit about our family. Um, we have four kids and five grandkids. Three of our kids live in Omaha, Nebraska, so when we come to the States, woo! When we come to the States, we only have to land in one city, which is kind of nice. And our youngest daughter lives in Mendoza, Argentina, right across the street from us. So I get to be very involved in my grandson's life. Let me ask you the question this time. Where is Mendoza? Mendoza? Huh. Well, you know, if you look at a map of South America, there's this long string bean country down near the south called Chile. And you go over the mountains from Santiago to Chile, and that's where Mendoza is. It's closer to Santiago than it is the capital of Argentina, which is Buenos Aires, a thousand kilometers away. The best part? I can go outside at any day, time of the day Look to the west, and I see God's majesty. It is amazing. And mountains that some days are brown, sometimes they're blue, sometimes every, you can see every nook and cranny, and sometimes they disappear because the cloud covers come down. But you know, Argentina is known more, for more than just the Andes Mountains. That's right. Last year. Argentina won the World Cup Soccer Championship for the third time. Well, we're famous for other things, too. Like, we have the highest inflation in the world, 140% in the last 12 months. That's depressing. Well, let me talk about things that aren't depressing, what God is doing. 26 years ago, there were four of us pastors that got together in the kitchen of one of, our, of one of us, and we decided we needed to start a Bible institute to equip leaders for our churches. So we started, and God has continued that for 26 years with all the ups and downs of the economy and everything going crazy. But we've survived, and we've got three programs, a, uh, excuse me, a certificate in Bible, a diploma in theology, and a bachelor's degree in theology. And, you know, COVID did a job on all of us, you know. I, we lost some good friends from COVID. But God used that to multiply the ministry. Six months before the quarantine hit, we started dabbling in online education, and things were going real well. Well, anyway, when the quarantine hit, 
we transferred all the classes over to online. The professors complained, but whatever. And so we were able to keep going. And it grew the ministry. There are more people studying online then during the quarantine than we had before. Now, after the quarantine lifted, then the enrollment dropped, but we've recovered. And now we have all of our classes online and face-to-face, -face, somewhere between 60 to 90 students every trimester. And one of the things that really excites me is to see people's lives changed. We have a lot of students that come thinking, well, I have to be good and I have to perform and do all these things the way people tell me to do just to please God. Well, when we get to the book of Romans and they discover the freedom of living by grace and it God's unconditional love and acceptance that transforms their lives. It's great to see. I can't teach theology, so I'm glad God gave him that ministry. Um, but I'm involved in a ministry called Corazones Abiertos, which is open hearts in English. And, um, you know, Pastor Steve last night was talking about things that happened throughout your life and you end up where, where God wanted you to, but you never planned that? Well, I never, as a kid, would have said, when I grow up, I want to work with men and women who've been abused as children. That wouldn't have been my choice, but God. And God used an, a, a story of sexual abuse in my own life to bring me to where when he started healing my story, I was saying, of course, of course, let's get together and let's continue this because God does miracles and I get to be part of those miracles. And COVID just mushroomed the whole thing because we had to go online. So instead of me traveling to different countries, God made it so that if you had a cell phone, or a computer and an internet connection, you could be part of a healing group. And so we have had men and women from every Spanish-speaking country, including a Mexican who's living in Germany. So it has been an amazing, amazing 19 years now in this ministry, and I love it. Well, it's just amazing to hear the stories of how God is working in and through you and your lives and just the way that he's taken what you've got to offer and he's making this incredible impact in Argentina. We want to be a church that prays for our missionaries. So I, I want to ask you, how can we as a church be praying for you both and for your ministry? One of the things that's dear to my heart, of course, is the Bible Institute. And I would really like to ask you to pray that God would work in the hearts of the leadership in the churches and the believers in Mendoza to make this part of them and make it a vital priority for what they're doing. That they would catch the vision of really standing behind our ministries, both of them. Now, as far as the Institute's concerned, that would translate itself into supporting financially the Institute. Now, with 140% inflation annually, that's hard. So, Ask God to make it so important that this is something that they really, really want to do. And um, you may have noticed that there's a little white hair. And that means that in a few years, we will be redeploying to the United States, not quitting our jobs because 
God's, one of God's results because of COVID is we can do our job from anywhere. So we will be redeploying to the United States, but our local ministries in Mendoza need leadership because we won't be living there. So pray that God would raise up men and women willing and ready to be involved. In Corazones Abiertos, there are already people involved as leaders and willing to carry on. I've already told them many times, if God takes me home on one of these international trips, I know you guys will carry on. So, but pray, pray, especially for a director for the Bible Institute. For sure. Let's be a church that's praying for Paul and Beth for their ministry in Argentina. Make sure after the service, they're going to have a table out in the foyer. Go say hi. Talk to them about their ministry. I got to have dinner with them last night. Some incredible stories of what God's doing. Grab their prayer card off the wall. Write them letters. Paul specifically wants you to know, if you write him a note, put your email in there. He wants to write you back. Uh, they would love to share their story and what God is doing with you. Before I let you go, let me pray for you guys. Thank you so much for sharing with us. Lord, thank you for Paul and Beth. Thank you for 40 years of serving you in Argentina, of faithful ministry, of trusting you, of seeing you overcome hurdles in their life and their ministry and their call. Lord, you have been so good and so faithful. Lord, we want to praise you for that. And we pray, Lord, that now as they get ready for this transition time, as they redeploy to the United States, Lord, that you would just bring alongside those leaders, those men and women, Lord, that would be able to take the Bible Institute there in Argentina to carry it forward for, for decades and, and hundreds of years into the future, Lord, training up men and women to share the gospel, to serve the church in Argentina. Lord, we also pray, Lord, as, as they get ready to come back, we know that it's not an end of ministry, but a transition to new ministry. And we pray that you would continue to, to grow and, and to empower the ministry that they are doing, whether it's in the States or in Argentina. I think about the, this trauma care ministry that Beth's doing. What an amazing ministry, an important ministry. Or bring new people that need to be reminded of the hope that they have in Jesus. They need to have someone put their arm around them that they can continue to serve and minister uh, throughout their life. Lord, we're just so thankful for them. I pray a blessing over Paul and Beth. Thank you for their ministry, Lord. We give all this in your name. Amen. Let's give them a big hand. Hey, good morning. If I've not met you, my name's Steve. It's my privilege to be the pastor here. We are right now in a study of the book of Revelation. We're going to get back to it next weekend, so make sure that you bring your Bibles. We're starting in chapter 12, calling it the end of the beginning, from creation until this moment, all of it just the beginning. So we now move into the reign of Christ and all of eternity, so I encourage you to do that. But this morning... Do what I call state of the church. It's not new for me. Many of you know my dad was a pastor like forever, and he used to do this. And so when I became a pastor, I thought, hey, we're going to do this. Just a chance to kind of share my heart, some of the things that are on my heart, and the elders as we look forward to 2024. So if you got your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Joshua 1. Wonderful passages, one of my favorites. I'm not going to have the time this morning to to do it justice, so I would encourage you to go back and, and, and do a little bit more. But I want to talk today about the journey of faith, the journey of faith. Hebrews tells us this, that without faith, it is, what's the word? 
impossible to please God. God calls every one of his children to a journey of faith. Because it is in our faith, our dependence in him, that God is honored, that God grows us. And I don't know that there is a story in the Bible that takes more faith in some ways than the story of Joshua. In fact, of all the jobs that God called people to do, this is the one that I absolutely would never have wanted because Joshua had to replace Moses. Number one rule of leadership is don't be the guy who replaces the guy. And Moses was the man, right? He was the greatest leader maybe of all time, leading the children of Israel out of Egypt for 40 years around the wilderness. And now Joshua's got to replace him. And the people, quite honestly, weren't the easiest people to, to lead. Um, and so I, I want to I want to actually start in verse 1. The heart of what we're going to look at is in verses 6, 7, 8, and 9. He keeps repeating a phrase there. I think you'll pick it up. But let's start back in verse 1 as we read the text. Now, it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore rise, cross the Jordan, you and all the people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your feet treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. From the wilderness of this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun, will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their father to give them. He says it again. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you will be careful to do according to all that is written in it, and then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success." Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. We're called to a life of faith. Joshua is being called to a life of faith. And God keeps using this phrase, be strong and courageous, right? To exercise faith, it takes that. Now, often in Scripture, when you see a phrase repeated... God's doing it for emphasis. But in this passage, there's actually three distinct ideas. And again, I wish I had plenty of time to unpack it. I don't. But the first thing is this. Verse 6 is, Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of land which I swore to their fathers to give them. It's just you have to have courage and strength to believe my word. Believe my word. I promise, by the way, Joshua, I promised this to your great-great-great-great-grandfather Abraham 450 years ago. This isn't new to me. 
And oh, by the way, did you notice some of the other promises he gave him here? Verse 3, every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I've given it to you. Down in verse 5, no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you. The promises of God. It takes courage to, to believe what God has said. That's why, you know, so much of the Christian life is a battle for our mind. And, and taking God's word and believing what he says. You know, same thing for us. Same thing for us. I mean, we have a world that says, hey, if you live this way, you do this, you do this, you're going to find happiness and success. And Jesus is standing there and he says, you know what? I came to give life and to give it abundantly. You want to know the best? Do we have courage to believe God's word? Jesus is the one who says, if you give, it shall be given back to you. Courage to believe God's word we're called and it takes courage to believe God's word but not just simply believe it right so it starts with the mind but the next piece is now you have to have courage to act on it and that's verse 7 only be strong and very courageous be careful to do according to all the law of Moses right so we have to have courage to act then on God's word uh, so Joshua was going to figure this out real quickly because he was going to lead them into their first military battles inside now he has been leading them they, they've already had a lot of victories he's a military guy so he goes to, to the Lord they're going to go their first one is with Jericho you maybe heard the story and when he sits before the Lord, the Lord says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take the, the army and the children of Israel, the priests blowing their trumpets, and I want you to go walk around the city. Now, folk, I am no military strategist, but I don't think that's how you defeat a city. All right, so now you're going to have courage to trust me and to do what I've told you to do. And oh, by the way, you're just not going to go walk around at once. You're going to go walk around at six times. Six days, one time a day. And on the seventh day, you're going to do it again. Only this time, you're not going to walk around at once. You're going to walk around at seven times. And on the seventh time, as the priests are blowing their trumpets, I'm finally going to give you the signal. You're going to shout, and the walls are going to fall in. I mean, folks, think about it. The only thing they're really doing is they're digging them a moat around the city. It doesn't make sense. See, it takes courage not just simply to believe, but it takes courage to act. In fact, it's interesting. As Joshua displays that courage, and if you know the story, God gave them great victory. After the seventh day on the seventh time around, God gives the signal, they shout, the walls fall in, gives them the, the victory. The one thing God had said was, this first city, you're not to take any of the spoil. This one is dedicated wholly to the Lord. But there was a man by the name of Achan who's walking through and he sees some shiny stuff. In fact, he says, I saw among the spoils a beautiful mantle or robe from Shinar, Babylon. 
200 shekels of silver, a bar of gold of 50 shekels in weight. And then I coveted them and took them. And before you, you throw too many stones at this guy, I went and did a little math. Kind of like that. Spot gold price or price of gold last week, uh, just that little 50 shekel gold bar was worth $41,000. And it's just laying there. Who's going to miss it? And who's going to know? But God said, don't take anything. Courage to obey God's word. Joshua had it. Achan didn't. Well, what about us? What does God's word tell us? Hey, if you're going to follow me, you need to take up your cross daily and follow me. Hey, if you're going to follow me and someone does you wrong, you got to be willing to forgive 70 times 7. If you're going to follow me, you need to love your enemies. You need to pray for them who mistreat you. Courage to do. The third time he uses that phrase is down in verse 9. He says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You see, we would like to think that, okay, if we got courage to believe, hey, every, you know, God's going to be with me, I'm going to do what he tells me to do, and then we act on it and we live, that everything then is going to go perfect. Right? Life is just going to be this, this pathway of roses and cherry blossoms, and it's just good. But that's not what happens. In fact, for, for, for Joshua, right, the promise is I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you like I was with Moses. Every place you go, they go up to this little city of Ai, and guess what? They get their tails kicked. And the question is, do we quit believing? And for Joshua, it was he went back to the Lord, and that's when the Lord showed, hey, there's sin in the camp, and you got to deal with that. But he reached back out in faith. And I would love to tell you, you know, as we started this journey of this church, and it's all been, you know, this, this wonderful rose of, of pathway of rose petals, but it's not. I remember 2000, and we uh, we hit this plateau, and we were just stuck. We were just stuck and there seemed to be no hope and these other churches around us were all growing and moving and grooving and we're just stuck it's hard I think of 2003 when as a church we had prayed and we felt like God told us to try to sell our building and we did and then for nearly eight months we looked for a place to go and we couldn't find anything I mean Every door we tried to open was a dead end. It's hard. It takes courage in those difficult moments to persevere. To push on. And here's the thing, folk. God has called you. If you know Jesus, God has called you to a life of faith. Do you understand that? Let's go back to Hebrews. For without faith, it is impossible to please God. 
So as a child of God, you were called to a life of faith. Now, I, I get it, it all starts with faith, and a lot of times people think, well, that's, you know, hey, I, I believe Jesus is the Savior, I believed him to be my Savior, I've accepted him, and that's kind of where you think your faith starts and ends. Well, it is where it starts. If you've not come to put your faith in Jesus, that's where relationship with Jesus starts, by faith. But it doesn't end there. And God is going to continually push and is going to continually move us forward to exercise that muscle of faith. I was thinking about how even the Apostle Paul, who had talked about a man of faith and he had been through imprisonments and beatings and shipwrecks and you get to 2 Corinthians 12 and he talks about how he had a thorn in his flesh from Satan and he asked the Lord three times to take it away and God says no how does he respond and he said to me my grace is sufficient for you for power is perfected in weakness now here's the faith most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. I wish, you know, I wish that someplace along the line that, you know, maybe we get to that point where, all right, man, we, we've ticked the box. We have faith and, and then we'd let it go. I'm a planner. I like certainty. I'd rather walk by sight than by faith. But I can tell you, at least in my life, at this point in my journey, you that's not a place this side of heaven we get and the life of faith that God calls us to is a, it takes courage it takes strength because the only way for faith to grow is for faith to be stretched we have to be stretched we have to be pushed we have to be put in situations where it causes us to lean into Jesus so can I ask you a question today where are you allowing the Lord to stretch your faith today? If, if it's true that without faith it's impossible to please him, then where are you allowing God to stretch your faith? Now I would say there's lots of ways to do that in my life. I would say there's three primary areas. One is in prayer. You know, there's those needs that come, those situations that I can't fix, I can't control. The only thing I can do is take them to the Lord. In fact, this past fall, uh, we have three kids and, uh, and, and you know, in-laws and all that. And, and all three of them were, were going through some things in their life where they're seeking the Lord's direction. And I would have loved to have made it clear for someone needed a job or this, that, and the other to go on. I can't. All I could do is pray. And it was so cool sitting together for Christmas and just seeing how God had, had answered each of those prayers. What are you praying for? Another place that God stretches me is in service. What I b truly believe is that very seldom does God call us to something in service that we feel adequate for. Because if we're adequate, we don't really need him. It's the things that we feel inadequate for that stretch our faith, that God, I'm willing to do this. I'm willing because I know that you're with me, that you're not. Where are you serving? 
The other place in my life where God stretches my faith is, is with giving. I've told you the story back when I was in, in college and, you know, I always gave, but I had this payment for school due, you know, and but that's where he stretches it. If you hear me tell stories about our church so often, they revolve around money. You know, I'll tell about 1997, where $10,000 in, in the red, and we've been praying for months and got to the end of the year within 30 hours of the new year, and we've been praying and praying and praying and praying. There was nothing. In fact, I sat down. I, had, you know, the old for those of you old timers, you remember the day timers, right? So I was in my day timer. Hey, let's get through the first of the year, and I picked the day for when the elders were going to get together to talk about how to close the church down. And then in those last thirty hours, God brought in ten thousand dollars, which, by the way, is what I learned to pray more specifically. Because we ended the year with $34 in the bank. See, all I'd been praying was, Lord, we need to be in the black. I should have been praying $1,000 in the black, right? I just prayed in the black. Well, you got us, you know, $34 there, right? But that's how God stretches faith. So let me ask you again. Where is God stretching your faith right now? Now, here's the thing about the journey of faith. It's not just for individuals. It's for bodies of Christ. And I, I share this more as observation than anything else. <clears throat> but my whole life has been grown up around and in and serving and ministering in the church. And one of the things that I have found is that churches that thrive are churches of faith. They're willing for God to stretch them, to call them to new things. And I think that periodically, God puts decision points in the life of a church to see, are they going to continue? And sadly, I've seen too many churches that get to that point where we're really too comfortable now to take that next step of faith. And you can write it down, that is the beginning of the end. And so as I think about 2024, these challenges that I want to share that I believe are kind of our next points collectively community, points of faith, are really important to me. Because God is obviously doing some wonderful things here. But I think there's some things he's calling us to. And here's the first one. And the first one, to be honest with you, is Pandora's box to me. I've dreaded this for the last three years. We are heading into an election year. Did you know that? And I think the challenge that we have to be willing to take is that we're going to commit ourselves to live like Jesus in our community, even in an election year. Now, I know that some of you are going to be ticked off at me because I don't come out and take the stand politically that you think that I and the church ought to take. I'm especially talking to you right now, okay? <laughs> I think, 
as Christians, we ought to be politically or be involved in our community. I wish we had more people running for dog catcher, city council, school boards. I think being involved is important. I think voting is very important. But folk, ultimately, our number one commitment in our life is not into a political party, not to the R's, not to the D's, not to the L's. Our ultimate goal is not to America. Our ultimate goal and allegiance is to Jesus. And we have to keep that in mind. And listen, we all have opinions. We all have thoughts and we get that. But if my politics gets me to the point with my neighbors... And the people in my life who don't know Jesus, that I can't talk to them about Jesus because of the politics, then I've got my eyes on the wrong thing. And and even more importantly, do you know what Jesus' number one goal for his body was? John 17, that we may be one unity and yet churches are being divided because people get into these political fights over this person and that person and this party and that party and can I just tell you that there's not a savior out there I don't care who it is that you like there's only one savior is Jesus And can we be wise enough to understand that it benefits the political parties to get us inflamed, to get us excited because that's when you'll start giving money. That's when you'll go work for them for free. And so they want to, you know, and here's the thing, they both paint the other side like Satan. It's the one place I think they're probably true. Right, because I, I, I just say because the enemy is, uses this to divide us and to divide his church. And the point of faith is, listen, yeah, we, we all have opinions. I, I think we all ought to be involved. But we've got to, first of all, be committed to live in Jesus. And when somebody's saying something that maybe I don't agree with, that I don't have to let them know I disagree. You know, there's those moments of grace where you just smile on the outside and the inside, you're going, oh, jeez. All right? (laughs) But you know what? We're going to focus on the things that we do agree on and walk in unity. That's number one. Number two is we got to develop the ministry opportunities that come with this new building. I've said Many times, I'm going to continue to say it. I'm so excited about this building. I'm so excited about the parking. I didn't have to park down by the park today. It was great because it's cold out today, right? I still parked on the back street because without stripes, some of you don't know how to park. Uh, So I wanted to make sure you had room. Uh, So I did park back on the street. Just speaking truth and love, all right? That's all we're doing here. I wish I could take you over there. I wish I could show you the rooms that are, you know, for our, that are coming for our children and upstairs. Our, that youth room is incredible. Some adult, incredible adult spaces. But here's the thing, folks. Asphalt and rooms 
had never won, reached, or discipled anybody. They're just tools. It's all they are. It's people who disciple people. It's people who reach people. Every one of us has been gifted to serve God's church. And folks, we need that more than ever. Do you understand that the moment, I mean, excited, right? We want to all get in, right, and use it. But do you understand that the moment that we get in, literally, we need to double the number of children's ministry workers we have. We call them disciple makers. We need to double the number of disciple makers. Why? Because we've got double the size of the rooms. In fact, we even had to consolidate. A lot of people that used to work weekly are now every other week. And I know that gets, oh, that's even a little nicer, right? But hey, we, we got to double down. We need more greeters. We need more people. We got this new parking lot. We need more guys out there waving flags to help people find parking. Tech. In fact, we, we live stream the service, but we don't have anybody on serving as a host. We have places to serve for everyone. You go, well, you know, but I don't, I, I'm in poor health and whatever. Great, join the prayer team. There is a place for you to serve the body of Christ. And the church was never about a service on Sunday morning. It was about the community of believers. He gifted you to serve. By faith, we got to step out and say, okay, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I'm, I'm going to fit it. I'm going to make it happen because what God calls us to do is where he stretches our faith. Here's the third thing. Phase two. So phase one is what you see. It's that building. It's the parking. It's everything that's happening right now. Through the generosity of you all, through the pledges that have come in, and this pledge, we started it, just about three years ago it ends in march phase one pledge drive the money has come in this is paid for the next piece of this is another worship center by the grace of god we've actually raised just about 1.9 million dollars in pledges towards that but here's what's happening. We are right now in the construction or getting the construction drawings done. They're supposed to be done in July. What we'd like to do is in July now put them in for permits so we could just go. This is that next step. Let me just give you a little brief overview in case you haven't seen it of uh, what, what this is going to look like. So this this started along by the way we're not moving the church to florida i don't know where all those uh, palm trees came from uh, but on the other side of the pavilion so you can see the existing building on the other side of the pavilion is where we want to put the, the new worship center the new worship center does a number of things first of all it gives us increased space which is you know we're running 200 ahead of where we were a year ago we're actually going into our growth time now january february march it um but the one of the really cool pieces of it is the foyer space uh as many of you know i mean we took out offices to to just have a place where we can you know little space that we've got now but we we're putting a foyer space in here that we want to open up for the community so in the afternoons when you know because we have Dutch Bros, we have Starbucks down at Safeway, but no place to meet. This can be the gathering place for our community. You want to meet with some folks down here around the church, bring your coffee or not, we'll have 
you know, the free voids back there, right? You work from home. You want a place where you can get community. This would be that place. On the weekends, we'll have our... Um, our welcome centers, our where you get signed up for connect groups, all of those things that will be a part of that. The worship space will actually be built for worship. We've been talking a lot about, you know, what are we doing with the air conditioner and everything to bring sound down so that we can have a better sound piece. It'll be 50% bigger. So like this morning, the way this is configured is a little over 600 chairs. That will be a little over 900. So it's 50% bigger for us to be able to use. And you start multiplying that out over the four services. But here's where we're at. We're still about $4.8 million short of going ahead because we don't want to take long-term debt in this. And that seems like such a big number. So the question is, well, how can we make it so that everybody can be involved? Because again, it's a community piece and we want everyone to do that. So here's what we've done. Now, I'm a math nerd, so if I lose you, come up and let me try to explain it a little bit better. But what we did is we took what we need and we wanted to break it down to real bite-sizable pieces. So what we've done is we've created what we call blocks, right? We're building. That was my idea, by the way. Um, <laughs> didn't take a whole lot. So we take a block. A block represents $3,000. So what we need to get to the point to move on is we need 1,600 blocks to be pledged to say, hey, I will give that $3,000. That gets us to our $4.8 million by April of 2027. So we're starting this new uh, pledge campaign. It runs for three full years, actually over four calendar years, if you care about that for, for tax purposes. $4.8 million. But let me bring it even down further. What does, what does one block look like? Well, $20 a week... Set aside, you know, you give up a pizza. In a year, equals $1,000. $1,000 over the three years equals three times, one block. We, now obviously we know that there are many because we saw it in the first one who are going to give more than that. Uh, but right now we have, I think, a 1,000 ongoing giving you know, families or individuals. And so far to get to 1.9, that's about 200 uh, that have done. So there's 800 that haven't jumped in to participate. We think this is really simple. That's what gets us to that worship center. That's what gets us to the point that this July, we got the construction drawings. We have it pledged, right? It's not in yet, but it's pledged. We get to move ahead. We think it'll take, now it took us 18 months. <laughs> we think, and it's part of why we want to move ahead with it right now, that because we've been doing all this and we've got everything in place, that within about six months we can get the, the uh, permits, break ground, and hopefully by, uh, what would it be, Easter of 26, that that's, we, we would be into that. And here's the thing, folks. I'm not asking you to give today. My ask is that you would pray. Now, mind you, the ask to give is coming, but that's not what I'm asking for today. What I'm asking for is for you to pray. 
We're all on this journey of faith, individually and corporately. Where is God stretching your faith? And would part of that be to join us in making that commitment to saying, this is what we believe as a community God is leading us towards. For reach, you know, we have, if you stuck a stake in the ground and you took a five mile string, one around here, there's 194,000 people within that five miles. Most of them are unchurched. They say that by 2034, that will be 234,000 people. We want to be in that place. To be honest with you, we also want to be in the place where we can plant more churches. We believe that this is the thing that will allow us to get to that point, to have the size and the scope where every year, either locally, nationally, or internationally, that we can help put a church in the ground to reach people with the gospel.